Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and with me today is Min Grob. Min, you are uh, joining us from somewhere in Great Britain. I'm not exactly sure where. Are you in the London area? Um, no, I'm um, the most easterly um, region of um, England, um, East Anglia, and um, I'm by the coast. And oh. thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining us. We kind of connected, or at least this is the first time we've actually spoken, but we've kind of connected over the issue of coercive control. Min, you had your first conference on coercive control in 2015, and since then you've held national conferences, seven of them, as a matter of fact, in the United Kingdom. And you're really passionate about recognizing those red flags in a relationship. I think that oftentimes we tend to victim blame, And when things get bad and there's a divorce or there's abuse, we say, well, why didn't she see that coming? Why did she pick somebody who does that? But those red flags are pretty subtle, especially when we're talking about coercive control. If somebody hits you, then that's clear that's abuse, however you react to it. It's clear that hitting is abuse. But in many countries, in many countries, including my own and yours, I suspect, that whole concept of coercive control, that there are things that are worse or at least just as bad as hitting and physical abuse, that's a little bit more slippery concept for a lot of people. Now, you guys actually have some legislation addressing that. We're behind that right now. We d- we don't actually have legislation regarding coercive control, but we're starting to uh, recognize it in the context of other things, and, and people in the movement are trying to get it uh, to be more readily accepted. But this whole idea of coercive control is a slippery one. Do you agree? I think it's... Totally. Um, I, I think you're very right there. And I think that now, even five years after realizing the situation I was in, I'm still trying to um, get to grips with it. And I very much still blame myself for getting into the situation, even though I know realistically it wasn't my fault. But it's, um, I, I think it's the conditioning. You can't quite walk away from that so easily. Mm-hmm. It screws up your brain. And there's been a lot of research, much of which has uh, been with victims who say, you know, my broken bones will heal, my black eye will improve, but the stuff that he did to my mind, that's not so easy to repair. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't realize um, that I was actually, I mean, I knew I was in an abusive relationship, but I actually believed, I was led to believe that it was my fault, that I was going mad, I was the one who was paranoid, I was overreacting, um, I, I, I was being unreasonable, I was, you know, mad, I was nutty, and I didn't actually see it as being um, abuse from his side. I just assumed that because of me, because of who I was and how I was, I was putting him under enormous pressure, and um, it was, um, you know, it was poor him really it was only (laughs) yes it always is isn't it (laughs) yeah it's only afterwards and even now I sometimes catch myself thinking did that really happen you know for a long time I thought I was losing my mind and um, it takes me a long time it took me a long time and still does to um, get around you know get Sorry, I'm getting, I'm confusing myself now. To get around the sort of the gaslighting aspect of it, the mm-hmm. fact that no, my mind was actually okay. It was being manipulated. I think that is the hardest thing. You know, your reality isn't your reality. It's the reality that they have literally reframed. 
for you, I found that the hardest. Much harder than, you know, the black eye. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, for most of us, I think, and I don't know, I'm I'm not a young person anymore, um, and I don't know, a lot of things are different for younger women, simply because of awareness and our cultural uh, awareness, but a lot of things aren't. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's different for young women. But for women of my generation, we we were the ones, we women were the ones who were responsible for the success or the failure of the relationship. It oh, went, absolutely. It went squarely on our shoulders. And I say to people, if you don't believe that, just look at any kind of magazine counter. Tell me how many women's magazines or magazines directed toward women readerships how many of those have articles on how to please your man, how to make your successful your relationship successful, how mm-hmm. you you tell me how many of them. I mean, even fashion magazines have articles on that, you know, Absolutely. To women, how, how on to how dress you can, your man. Yes, yeah. exactly. How many gentlemen quarterly, popular mechanics, um uh field and stream, how many men's magazines have those articles? No, well, none. none. <laughs> I haven't read any, but I can pretty much say from the cover, probably none. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably, they perpetuate the fact that, you know, if you're some sort of he-man, you can get an attractive woman, uh-huh. and that's really your goal in life. Yes, exactly. But for women, it, it is. It's literally, you know, raise a family, you know, you know, be the homemaker, you know, make sure that everything is okay so that the man can... Um, do what he's supposed to do you know don't rock any boats for him that's now i mean i might i'm i'm going to be 52 in a few weeks so i'm definitely not young but certainly i grew up in a generation where it's literally um you know we were there we had to you know we were taught to make sure that you know the dinner was on the table the children were sort of you know seen and not heard and um, but my upbringing was actually quite old-fashioned yeah yeah and and i I suspect, I I know that, as I said, it's different for younger women now in many ways, but I suspect that there's an awful lot of the same thing going on uh, with younger women, at least for a large percentage of them. And if we are in a situation, we marry or start a relationship or however we we choose to do it, um, with a man, with high hopes, we like this person, we have high, you know, we, we want to make it successful we want it to work for us as well as for them and if we have this sitting on our shoulders that it's up to us then of course if something's not right we're going to accept the blame for that at least subconsciously at least to some level and so i always call it you know the that stage of a relationship where you realize something's wrong something's not right he's telling you that it's you the magazines you are telling t- you that it's you, and so you just sit there thinking, okay, it must be me. Yes, and then you try and fix it. Yeah, yeah. You try and fix it because you think, well, you know what, It's um, they were perfectly fine before this situation where they weren't fine, so um, if we fix it, we can get it back to that stage where everything's okay. And yes. of course, it's never like that. No, because but no it's... One, it's it, it, no it, one tells us this. No, absolutely not. 
And I'm wondering, well, you know, we'll get to this later, but, you know, with our hashtag MeToo movement, which I believe you guys have had as well. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I have to be honest, a part of me thinks, really? Really? Some guy, you know, put his hand on your rear end and you're considering that sexual assault? For me, that's like, whoa, really? I mean, not that it's appropriate, not that you aren't you know, justified in feeling, you know, angry about it or whatever, but to equate that with sexual assault, for me... I have a hard time with that. I can see it both ways because um, I'm certainly in my twenties. I was in a so the, so this was in the um, in the nineties. I was in a very male dominated environment, and um, I was um, slightly more attractive than I am now. <laughs> weren't and, we all? Weren't we all? <laughs> things were things were in the place they were supposed to be and um i got groped constantly and um it was all very low level innuendo low level touching rubbing accidental brushing but you know what it was constant and that climate sort of wears you down so I can see that one isolated incident, I suppose very much with co- as with coercive control, one is- isolated incident in itself might not seem like very much. But when you're working in an office environment, um, the kind of office environment I was working in where literally somebody would, you know, walk past you, you were sitting on your desk and they, you know, put that arms around your, their arms around your shoulder, try and massage your neck, try and run their hands down your back when oh, they're yeah. talking to you and you're standing, try to put the hand on the hips, hands on the knees in the taxi, try and put, you know, slip the hands in between the knees. And when that is happening on a continuous, continual basis, it is really unpleasant. Yes, it is unpleasant um, and and certainly not acceptable. Um, and I, I'm sorry that we kind of took a side, side <laughs> thing there, but it's all yeah. one and uh, the same. When we are in an environment like that, where we accept responsibility for the success of a relationship or we have it thrust upon us, um, when we have an environments where um, women don't talk about it necessarily. Now they are, and that's, you know, the yeah. younger women, they definitely are. But my point is, is that you start out this relationship with just the best of intentions, wanting it to work, wanting it to be wonderful, you know, mm-hmm. and you have every reason to expect that he wants the same thing, but then gradually that begins to erode. Yes. And that erosion, that erosion um, is kind of where we find the, the, the place for coercive control. Because coercive control is so subtle. Um, we have... Uh, uh, I think I'm on the National Domestic Violence Hot. No, I'm actually on the New York uh, State Domestic Violence Prevention uh, website. And I think they have a great definition for con- coercive control. Coercive control is a strategic course of oppressive behavior designed to secure and expand gender-based privilege by depriving women of their rights and liberties and establishing domination in personal life. It's the rational, instrumental behavior and not a loss of control. It's ongoing rather than episodic, and it's based on multiple tactics, intimidation, degradation, isolation, and control. And 60 to 80% of American women say that they have experienced this to one degree or another. I think a lot of 
in 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 the states anyway, and I suspect it's the same there. Um, as I said before, I think people we've done a lot of work in the last thirty years, and I think people understand that it is not acceptable ever 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 to hit women, to push them, shove them, you know, beat them, whatever. I mean, everybody's on board with that. That's domestic violence, and no, we don't want that. That's not acceptable. But these more subtle controls the uh, degradation, the isolation. We are not, as a culture, yet seeing that as actual domestic violence. No, we're not. And yet you've experienced it. Yes. Do you perceive it as domestic violence or intimate partner violence? I do, but at the time I was living it, I didn't realize it was. It was only afterwards coming out. In fact, it was the police that actually pointed out to me it wasn't right. It's only afterwards piecing everything together and realizing um, what was happening, realizing really that what he told me was basically a bunch of lies and piecing together everything, looking at it through a different framework. That is when I realized um, how abusive it was. I mean, he literally, systematically, strategically... Um, made me believe that I was losing my sanity. And you referred to the term gaslighting. Most people know yeah. that, but in case you, the listeners don't know what that means, it means basically trying to convince somebody that they're crazy. Uh, and yeah, it, absolutely. It, it harkens from an old 1930s or 40s movie where there was the guy married the rich woman, and uh, they literally had gaslights. That's the era of this this movie. Um, they had gaslights, and she would come downstairs and light the gas lamps, and then she'd go away somewhere, and um, then come back, and the gas lamps would all be out, and she'd say, "Why did you tur- to her husband? Why did you turn off the lights?" And he said, "No, the lights weren't on. They weren't on." And she goes, well, yeah, I thought it, no, no, they weren't on. And so this happens routinely, and it's kind of messing with your mind kind of stuff. Uh, Oh, completely, yeah. Yeah, and that's why we call it gaslighting, (laughs) you know, kind of an interesting derivation of the word, uh, of the term. But um, that gaslighting where they they try to convince you that you're just nuts. You're just nuts. Yes. Yes, they, 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 they say things. And, and then they'll deny that they've said it. Yes. And um, the denials are so vehement that um, it sows the seeds of doubt in your mind and um, you question yourself. Yes, yes. And then, you know, silly things happen that are completely... I mean, in, in, in my case, I found the car keys in the fridge. In the fridge? I mean, I, yeah. And I mean, I know I didn't put the car keys in the fridge. I know. But there is a small seed of doubt. If someone sort of, you know, keeps saying to you, oh, you know, you overreact, you're very tired, you haven't slept lately, well, you know what, I've heard you say some strange things. There's a small seed of doubt that's sown. And you do wonder, could I have, was I sleepwalking? And that's how it starts. Yeah. Yeah. And if it were just once or twice, you'd just let it go. Exactly. But But it's consistent, it's continual, and it's really minor. And it escalates. It escalates. It can be once this week, two or three times next month. And And you can't question, because as soon as you question, um, they'll make out that you're paranoid, which just makes the situation worse. You, you, You start wondering whether you are paranoid. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've often wondered if these men, I, I've not seen any studies. So if you've done some studies or you're familiar with studies out no, there, I let, let me know. Um, but I often wonder if these abusers are conscious of their making these unreasonable um, um, statements or whether they truly believe in their heads that this is what happens. In other words, are they doing this consciously to mess with you? Or are they just in their own little world and they're just doing it because that's what they do? I I think it actually depends on the perpetrator. I think it's, um, with some, it's almost like a blood sport. They like to destabilize and they like to see you, um, you know, fear for your sanity. They get a kick out of that. But for some, for others, I, th- I think it's just... Um, that's how they've seen possibly, you know, their fathers treat their mothers. You know, that that's it's possibly how what you know, it's it's what they've witnessed, it's 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 all they know. Mm-hmm. That's that's my take on it. Yeah. And as and as you point out, it probably depends on the person whether they're doing yeah. it realizing what they're doing or not, or whether they're just doing it because it's a way of life for them. They think that's the way things should be done. I don't know. You know, the 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 study of abusers which has woefully um, been lacking uh, comprehensively, um, really is just now, I think, starting to go into some arenas that answer the questions about the abusers. But again, that's another another tendril I'm taking off from our conversation, and I don't mean to do that, but the topic is so, so huge. Tell me about your personal experience. How long were you in this relationship, and when did you first start getting those little inklings that something was wrong? Well, I was in the relationship for po- probably around, um, in total, probably around five years. Um, he and I were friends, and, and we were platonic friends, and I, I, was, I was in a relationship with somebody else, and that relationship broke up, strangely enough, because that person was jealous of my friendship with this person. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated, and I really didn't handle it at all well. And this platonic friend became my rock. You know, he would turn up unexpectedly with a bottle of wine, with, you know, sort of the backgammon, and, you know, just sort of um, kept phoning me up, inviting me to things. And I thought this was, you know, someone being nice, a friend, wanting to give me support, because I really was a mess. And after about six or seven weeks or so, he started saying that he'd fallen in love with me and that we were soulmates and that we were meant to be together. And at the time, I couldn't really see it because I was so devastated over the um, relationship that had ended. And um, from there on, for about maybe a year, he really seriously wooed me. He was everything. I mean, he was perfect. He was wonderful. He put me on a pedestal. We had the same, which I now know is a huge red flag. <laughs> but 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 having but 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 having literally been dumped and being absolutely devastated, just to have someone sort of cherish me in that kind of way, you know, I I I, I needed that at the time, and he could see that. He he loved the children. You, you know, he, he he made all kinds of. And this is the thing at the time is. At the time, I couldn't understand how many similarities there were between us, how many coincidences, how many how many events in our past had um, dovetailed. And um, it was only afterwards when the relationship ended that I actually realized that he'd fabricated all of that. That was designed. He'd literally set up 
set himself up to be my ideal person and um, it actually wasn't who he was at all. So to cut a long story short, we got married and um, within about two, three weeks of being married, that's when it happened. Um, he came up to me and started telling me he had debts, he wouldn't be able to help with the finance, but you know, doesn't matter. You know, I'd coped before, I wouldn't need his help. And he, um, there was an issue over his drug use. Whilst we were dating, he wasn't taking drugs. As soon as we got married, he suddenly said, oh, you know, I'm taking drugs and you've, um, you've promised to um, love me for better or for worse. So, you know, this is me, you know, you've got to, you know, this is, this is it. And um, then I fell pregnant. And that's when it really started going wrong. So when I fell pregnant, that's when things seriously started to change. Um, whilst we were dating and he was wooing me, um, oh, this is so creepy thinking back on this now. Every time I had a period, he would cry because um, he really wanted me to be the mother of his child. He really, this is, you know, what what he told me was that he really wanted to have a child with a woman he actually loved and he'd been in a relationship before so you know that wasn't particularly nice for you know for her but at the time I, I didn't see it as anything other than us being soulmates as soon as I um, became pregnant and told him he just went quiet and during the pregnancy he left me eight times oh my gosh and he left me eight times. I was devastated. I'd already had, you know, a, 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 a divorce and I'd, I'd had, you know, recently come out of this, you know, broken relationship. I didn't want another broken relationship and I didn't understand what was going on. He was wonderful. He was perfect. And all of a sudden there was, you know, I don't want to be with you anymore. I feel no connection to you or the baby. The, um, the pregnancy was horrendous. After the pregnancy, um, that was when the um, he started um, messing around with um, disorienting me by depriving me of my sleep, and he would do this by constantly waking me up in the middle of the night um, for sex, and sometimes I would wake up and find that he hadn't even asked me, and um, if I said no he would literally scream the house down and I didn't know what to do the children in the house I didn't want to I thought it was my fault I didn't know what was going on and um, so I acquiesced and um, it just it just got worse and worse well what you're describing is so typical in these situations it, it you know I mean your situation obviously is your situation and you know but but the way you're describing it you know it, it is very typical of of what I've read and what I've seen um, with yeah. these kinds of uh, situations. And you were there for five years. Probably, if you'd stayed longer than five years, did it did it go into physical abuse? It was it it did, but in a, in a strange way. Um, there was one incident where um, I was um, lying on the sofa. I was trying to have a nap. The baby was very small, and I. I I don't know what the argument was about. It was about probably about money. He picked up a full packet of baby wipes and he threw it into my face with such force when and, and I was sort of you know dozing on the sofa that um, I had a black eye. Oh my gosh! From a packet and of baby wipes, the plastic. Yeah. 
Wow. Yes. Yes, he he really threw it. And I didn't, I woke up, suddenly, you know, I could see black and blue and I, I could see colored lights. I, and he was in my face screaming that, you know, and I had, at that point, I didn't actually really know what I deserved, what I was getting. All I know is that my eye was hurting. There were other incidences um, where he would um, throw things at me whilst I was holding the baby. Um, I used to do a lot of cooking, and there's this bread bin, which rather than having it filled with bread, I had it filled with a 25-kilo um, bag of fa- flour, so that's quite heavy. Um, he would throw um, plates with a cutlery on if he didn't like the food, and um, and he would... And this actually came up in family court um, because this actually came up as, as um, you know, examples of his um, physical abuse. And amazingly enough, the judge actually found that um, even though he threw the food full of, you know, food and with the cutlery at me whilst I was holding a baby and he threw the flower, um, he aimed to miss. <laughs> well, I didn't know he was aiming to miss. I mean, if, it, if, if his aim is anything like mine, you know, it, it's a 50% chance that you hit. Yeah. Oh, and wow. I was just as terrified. And, and so those are the kinds of things he used to do. Um, yeah. Well, I don't want you to go have to go through this again because I, and, mm. you know, because this is always painful. Sometimes it triggers and I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, go. I, but I did want to give folks an idea of what coercive control is all about and I appreciate your sharing that with us but now you what was the what made you decide to leave what made you realize that there was something wrong with this behavior that it wasn't just your fault um there was a um he, he he attacked me in a hotel room and then the next day um left me and um I had you know a young child and um we were 200 miles away from home and he left me and um so i had to get a friend to pick me up and to drive me home and um what i did was um i um i changed the locks mm-hmm. so that he couldn't get into the house and two days after that incident i was in the bath um my older children were about to come back they were about to get off the school bus and you know i, I was just in the bath and the whole of the um, house, the, the the back wall was shaking, and I didn't know what it was. I thought that the next door neighbours were um, having some construction work done, and they just sort of done, and they just forgotten to tell me. And and what it was is, I looked out of the window and I saw a man I didn't recognise with a crowbar, and I was absolutely terrified. So I rang the police, rang nine nine nine, and um, went downstairs to try and sort of make sure that the front door was locked and everything. And I saw him, not the man with the crowbar, but actually him, um, shoot out of the dining room window. And um, so that started off a whole series of um, court um, hearings, many of it family court stuff. Um, I think in total probably close to 20 family court um, hearings. And what started um, the conferences was really... I was angry because I just found out what cursive control was. I was trying to, I was having to look at my whole relationship through um, a, you know, a different lens. It, it was not how 
it had been perceived, how I'd perceived it, that, you know, I was the mad one, I was the abusive one, I was the one that was in the wrong. There were so many things that I hadn't seen that I wasn't aware of, and I felt that um, more people should be um, made aware of it. And that's why I started the first conference. At the time, the um, Serious Crime Act, which um, criminalizes coercive control, that was only a bill, and there was no date at the time of when it would be enacted. And so I decided that maybe if I could campaign, maybe it could just sort of, you know, push that along. You know, it could ensure that that wouldn't be forgotten. And now I'm not saying that the conference um, sort of, you know, did that but I'm saying it is one of many many voices that contributed to the um, bill finally becoming an act and and that is a good thing yeah now it's interesting to me that you have taken your experience I think a lot of women who've been through abuse will take their experience and they will try to help others they'll try to yeah once they start to figure it out they want to share it and uh, help improve for other women You've done that. That's very true. Uh, You have done that with your uh, conferences, with your... um, How did you do that? How did you decide to do a conference? Um, What format do they take? Tell me about the conferences. Okay, well, the the first one was completely off the bat. With the first one... um, he was, um, it was, it was, it was during the court hearing, we'd been separated a while, you know, the family court hearings were sort of going on and people just weren't seeing, you know, this sort of pattern of abuse. They still saw him as a really, really nice man. And he was stalking me. And um, I went to the police and I said, you know, there's, you know, he is outside my um, office and um, he's walking past, you know, several times a day. Um, can you please tell him not to? And the police basically said to me, well, you know what, you know, we can't stop him from going where he wants to. It's his, um, you know, it, it, it's his human right to walk wherever he wants to. And I found out from the police that he would literally have to come into my workspace and threaten me before the police would take that seriously as stalking. I was so distressed that night. I mean, I cried all night, I didn't sleep, and I just thought, you know what, this is just ridiculous. And I, I think at about 4 o'clock in the morning, I decided, I know, I'm going to hold a conference. So by about 10 a.m., I had two speakers in a venue, and I didn't know what to do. So went onto Twitter and decided, okay, fine, I've, I've, I've got this now. And um, it was only ever going to be a one-off thing, a reaction. But, um, yes, it's... Raising awareness is is now is now my life because because it's such a huge subject and even now five years on I still don't fully understand I'm still continually learning and everyone's experiences though they're so similar they're also so very very different mm-hmm. yeah and I think the thing that really gets me is this you know you were talking before about how the experience is similar to things that you've heard and things that you've read for those of us who's, who've been in this situation and we you know share our experiences you know we all recognize the similarities and you know we all think oh my god you know it's the same you know they must all go to abuser college they all know each other <laughs> or it must be the same person yeah. now we all know this but this is something that you know 
women who haven't been in these relationships, they don't know these red flags, and they should do. This is something that adolescent girls should be taught, you know, boys should be taught in school. Mm-hmm. This is something that pe- people should understand how subtle it is, how it manifests, and how it escalates. Yes. Because then, if we can avoid those signals early on, then we can actually avoid it becoming worse, you know, becoming entangled, having more children involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the whole education concept is so important when it comes to this kind of coercive control. Yeah. Because I, I remember doing a radio show once with a, an interviewer and was trying to explain coercive control. And I said, well, what, you know, control of money. You know, uh, where where uh, which is a common way uh, that coercive control is exerted. No, you don't need that. No, we can't afford that. And then the next thing you know, you know, they can't afford something. You know, and and I was trying to explain it, and he looked at me, and said, "But all couples argue over money. It's difficult to explain these things. It is really, it is really difficult to explain. And the thing is, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to um apply a one size it's all approach to something that's essentially bespoke but if 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 somebody were to um, understand that coercive control isn't sort of a list of acts but it's actually it's the intention of the perpetrator the intention that perpetrator has on a victim on their victim and the length they'll go to to find out what weaknesses, what triggers there are in that victim and how they will manipulate and exploit that. If they can understand that, then they'll see the pattern and not necessarily, you know, tick off the acts as a kind of a checklist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, mean, think, I, I think the idea of trying to educate women to see those, those signals, uh, but sometimes those signals are not that obvious as, as no, you pointed not. out in your situation they didn't really come to the fore uh, what in in looking back on your relationship uh, right now do you see retrospectively that there were red red flags before you married oh yes person? what oh what, yes. what red flags absolutely did you see? what were the red flags um, we were friends, and as soon as um, my relationship ended, he was in there, and he was in there, and 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 and, and he was the person that um, he 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 figured out he was going to be the person that um, I needed him to be, if you like. And 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 there was there was constant pressure. There was constant pressure to uh, move the relationship forward. Um, he used to say, um, and and I hear this a lot. You know, we're soulmates. We're meant to be together. We're going to be together until we die. We're we're we're, we're he used to say this a lot. We're twin flames, and he would use that as an excuse to um, escalate, move the relationship along faster than I'd like. Because you know, I mean. Why, why argue with fate? We're meant to be together. But um, thinking back on it now, you, you know, it's the logical response should be, well, if we're meant to be together, then why the rush? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be together. You know, what, what, what are we sort of rushing for? What's, you know, why can't we just take it easy? But, you know, I didn't see that. But looking back, there is so many red flags. Um, the, the way he um, he would turn. Oh, there was one time. 
um, I wanted to go out with girlfriends and um, turned up at my door with a bottle of wine. Oh, forgot you were going out. And, um, you know, I felt guilty. I thought, oh, no, no, I have to cancel the evening out. I, um, you know, because, I, you know, he's just turned up unexpectedly. I feel bad. And he offered to drive me to my friend's. And I assumed he was going to drive me, you know, so I could, you know, drink. And he was going to pick me up later. And he stood outside my friends reading the paper. And I could see this. So I did not enjoy my evening at all. And it's, at the time, I felt guilty because I thought, oh, my God, he's done such a lovely thing. He's offered me a lift. And I'm being so ungrateful. I'm enjoying myself. And he's out in the car. And I didn't see it for the highly manipulative act that it was. Yeah, yeah that is very manipulative. And I think that's yeah. a key word when we're talking about coercive control, manipulation. Um, yeah. Control, coercive controllers are extremely adept at manipulating and um, oh, they are. doing, you know, finding those soft points in you that they can, um, you know, work their way into. Uh, coercive control, and I, I'm, one of the reasons I wanted to do the show with you is because this is, coercive control is an area where people don't really quite see that as serious uh, as mm. the physical abuse. And... Um, when you do your conferences, what kind of topics do you talk about? What, who are the experts that you bring to your conferences? Um, well, um, I've had, um, so some of the speakers I've had at the conference, um, Evan Stark has spoken at two conferences, and he is um, Wonderful the speaker. expert. Yeah. Absolutely. Lisa Aronson-Fontes, um, whose book Invisible Chains, I recommend to everybody as a very easy, accessible um, um you know, reader. Um, I've had um, academics speak. I've had survivors speak. I've had an amazing, I I love hearing her speak, is um, Dr. Emma Katz. Her research is on um, the, how cursive control um, affects children. Um, I've had people speak about um, cursive control and how it's, um, and online abuse, the connection there, um, stalking. I've had Laura Richards speak from Paladin. I've had, oh gosh, I'm trying to think now. Um, well, I'm thinking of the topics. You know, the that's more most of what I'm interested oh, in. The topics are around coercive control, so it's not necessarily just what is coercive control, but sort of areas on and around coercive control is to get a full sort of three D sort of. Um, picture of it so because of control in children it'll be because of control in the legislation how to identify mm-hmm. how to evidence um, how, how did your children do with this because as you just mentioned coercive controllers also i mean what the damage to children can be significant how are your children doing um fingers crossed okay Fingers crossed. I mean, I don't actually want to say sort of too much because it's, you know, they're my children. But um, I think that um, one of the reasons that I do so much in this area is so that hopefully um, they can be educated as well so they can avoid the situation that I find myself in. Yeah. And um, and also for their friends. And... um, 
there is still manipulation there. Yeah. But I think that um, I, th- I, th- I think in my case certainly I've channeled all of my drive, if you like, into campaigning, into raising awareness. So I've actually been able to come out of the situation relatively unembittered. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where um, I wasn't sure that that was possible. <laughs> If, yeah. that, if that makes sense yes and and I'm actually very glad about that because it's very easy to um it's very easy to be caught in a situation that takes years of your life and then to um mourn that mourn the loss of the life that you could have had mm-hmm. and um i pre- I prefer not to focus on that. I prefer to keep myself busy. Um, making sure that it doesn't happen to me again. <laughs> right. Well, and I think what you point out is the same in any kind of an abusive situation. There's that 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 hopefulness, then all of a sudden realizing yeah. something is wrong. There's something wrong here. And the, the trying to feel it out, trying to understand it, trying to make sense of what it is, whether it's through blaming ourselves or then coming to a realization that it's not just us, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then... And then that feeling of, am I going to, of giving up your future, your your vision of your future. You have to give that up when you choose to leave a situation like this. You are giving up whatever you saw as your future. And I don't think people appreciate that quite as much as they they ought to, especially people who are not familiar with, with abusive situations where they say, well, just stay. You know, why did she stay? Just go, just go. Um, it's because of the whole family dynamic. It's not just it's not it's not just you and the perpetrator. It's literally your families, their families. It's it's the work environment. It's it's it's, it's the village, the town, the you know the the the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the social network. Because the chances are that the abuser is so charming that nobody else can see it except for you. Yeah. So how can so how can you convince somebody that somebody's you know going you know going back to the situation with you know um the marital rape i mean n- nobody wants to accept that of somebody they that they go um drinking with down the pub yeah you know it's easy to believe that someone's lied about it or it's easy to believe that they are um, it's it's easier to believe she's crazy <laughs> absolutely <laughs> which is the go-to position i think in in or or, or, or she's or, or it's, she's making a false allegation she's malicious yes you know yes. she can't you know, she can't possibly be telling the truth because if she's telling the truth what does that say about us not having mm-hmm. not 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 being able to have a recognized it and not you know and for liking not being this able person. to acknowledge it yeah, yeah and, and what does it say yeah. about us for liking this person who's doing this bad stuff so he must not be doing the bad exactly. stuff um, plus, exactly plus we always like to think of ourselves as being smart enough where we would we would see this um, I know one of my favorite things is um, um, when people say well you sh- you looking back you you see signs now you see signs now and you are saying that you did see some red flags, but I think many times there were no red flags yeah. to see in a lot of women's situations. There were no red flags to see, um, at least none that you would recognize as an ordinary human being, maybe after you've studied the phenomenon and, you know, then maybe you could have. But I think that when we, it's it's all kind of a form of victim blaming. 
And we're not doing Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. We, we don't do it from a, a standpoint of trying to be mean to that person. I think we do it from a standpoint of self-protection. If it was something that she did or that she didn't, well, then I, I will... I, I can do it differently, and so therefore I'm safe. So if we can figure out something, if there were red flags and she just didn't see them, well, I'll see red flags, so this won't happen to me. I think it's... Yeah, there's that thing. Yeah. Sorry, there's that... There's, there's that I mean, I saw a tweet yesterday, some um, some um, criminal defense lawyer talking about his daughter, you know, she's too strong. She'd never be a victim because she's uh. too strong. Victims are the strongest of, people I know. <laughs> but, you know. But, but that, but that view, but that view is pervasive. I mean, it's, it's all pervasive yep. in society. It, it's mm-hmm. people. Do you honestly think that you know, if uh, to become a victim, you have to be either weak or you know, or, 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 or sort of dysfunctional in some way? And then if somebody who is strong does become a victim, it is the hardest thing for them to admit it. Oh gosh, yes. Absolutely. Um, it, it is. And we need to make it okay. We need to make it okay for anybody, no matter how strong, no matter what their viewpoint beforehand, to be able to admit, you know what? It happened to me too. Yeah. You know what? I, 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 I didn't, you know, I, 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 I thought I could see it, but it just so happened that I didn't. Because per- perpetrators are really clever. Yeah. They are. They're very... They're very nice people, the people they're not abusing, you know, I mean, (laughs) they're very nice people. And as you pointed out, they have, oftentimes they have, you know, lots of support. Family sometimes doesn't see it. Uh, You know, it's a a tough, a very tough thing um, to be stuck with an abuser of any form. Um, and especially the course of control because it is so invisible. I want to talk a little bit about the legislation that uh, the UK mm-hmm. enacted. It's been what four years now, three years? Yes, it enacted. It was it it became a crime in on the 29th of December, um, 2015. Okay. And so that's section 76 of the Serious Crime Act. I'm writing that down because I. Don't it's it's available to view online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we got a lot of, uh, uh, we did a lot of talking about this because, um, you know, this, this was huge. This was huge um, that coercive control was um, acknowledged and defined yeah. and made illegal. Uh, I know I was doing a, a workshop with uh, probation and parole officers and okay. we were, I, w- I was expecting a little bit of pushback to talking about coercive control. And there wasn't pushback. They were saying that, okay, if I have a guy who's on parole, or if I have a guy, you know, and he does this kind of coercive control or that kind of coercive control, I see it, but I can't go to the judge and say, well, send him back into jail. He's violated his parole because he did this, this, and this, because this, this, and this are not illegal. There's no statute that says they can't do that. So then they were brainstorming. I was I was just so impressed with this, this group of probation and, and parole uh, folks, because then they started brainstorming. And somebody said, well, what if, what if there are local statutes against this or that what if there is you know they were really brainstorming how they could reach out and pull in other sources of illegal 
uh, or you know of laws that would actually address some of the behaviors mm. of coercive control. I, it was just I, I was I learned so much from these folks, and I was so impressed with them. Uh, it, it was just astonishing, especially since I went in there thinking these people are gonna yeah they're not gonna see it. You know they're not gonna see it. They not only saw it, they see it every day, and they want to do something about it. So. When that's great. When you guys passed this uh, this legislation, um, I think everybody here in the states has been really looking at that, thinking, "How can we do this? How can we do this?" So, um, your your conferences started in order to promote that section seventy six, right? Yeah, I'm, okay. that's the reason I started, because at the time okay. it was only a bill. Yeah, so now that it's been passed and it's been going, you're still doing your conferences. What is your focus in your conferences now? Are they strictly educational, um, or are they? That, it's, it's literally, it's, it's educational, it's for, it, it's across, it's a multi-audience conference. So it's literally for survivors, it's for friends if, who think that they may know somebody who's um, in an abusive relationship, it's for people in the sector, it's for academics, it's for students. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to concentrate on, um, certainly when I started, there weren't that many conferences um, going, and a lot of the conferences that were going were more sort of um, um, targeted towards the um, domestic abuse sector, mm-hmm. um, whereas now they're more and more people are setting up conferences and what I want to do is um, focus more on um, the online magazine I do which is basically um, looking at coercive control and um, speaking to um, academics interviewing survivors um, um, giving um, basically just sharing information but more on a um, global um, arena mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, well, and is that your future? Is that what you're going to be doing? What are you going to be doing yes. down the road? Yes, that is my my, my future is literally to develop the magazine. It's been going since 2017, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's a free um, it's it's it, it, it's a free resource. Anyone can access it online, and the idea is to develop that to still speak publicly, to still um, do the conferences, but not as much because um okay so you're talking about the magazine how do our how do our listeners access that magazine um the app magazine is you can go onto yumpu.com which is y-u-m-p-u and um it's a site that hosts you know, all kinds of magazines and um you google um the magazine's called cc chat as in coercive control so it's C C and then chat C H A T, or you can look under my name Min Grob, and it should come up, and there should be a back catalog. Um, but I can certainly send you a link of the latest one. Oh, I'd love that. I would love that. The topic is so overwhelming, of course, of control. I want to talk a little bit and 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 play devil's advocate here. I think. Do you think that if you were a man? you would be a little nervous about um, coercive control and you know I, I'm th- I think that in some cases men were given the message that certain behaviors were acceptable and even desirable um, in pre- previous generations and do they are they getting it 
you know, are they are they getting it? Uh, is what I'm asking. Are we putting? Oh, I almost hate. I'm kicking myself for saying that. Are we putting a burden on our men? Oh, I can't even believe I'm asking that question. Um, to to uh, learn well, I, these I, new I'm, rules. <laughs> no, I don't think we are. I really don't think we are. And for two reasons. Um, one reason is that um, even before coercive control was um, criminalised, um, you know, um, the, the, the younger generation of men, um, you, you, know, you know, the decent guys, they know how to behave. Yeah. They know about, you know, consent. They know about not, you know, calling their girlfriend, you know, sort of a, a you know, a, a fat whore or something. They know that they're, you know, they, they understand about emotional abuse. And I think that there are um, adolescents, and this goes for girls as well, that, who, who don't necessarily understand um, what a healthy relationship is. And the focus really needs to be on understanding what it is and what it isn't so that they, they end up in relationships that aren't abusive. I think that there's a type of man that, you know, at the end of you, you can tell them that... Um, xyz is wrong until the cows come home and they won't see it because they've got this entitled mindset and they will continually subjugate women and for that kind of man there is a law in place that needs to hold them to account when they um break it did any of that make sense? <laughs> yes. Yes, it did. It made perfect sense. I want to go back to this website from New York. Um, and uh, and uh, the reason I like this is because you mentioned Devin Stark is one of your speakers. He, he yeah. is a highly entertaining speaker. That's his quote, speaker. isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, no. That, that's um, his quote, isn't it, on that? Yeah. <laughs> he's a highly entertaining speaker. If anybody has a chance to ever go listen to Evan Stark, you should do so. He's He's very good. But... One of the things on this website that I think is is uh, worth hearing is coercive control is a violation of rights and liberties protected by the U.S. Constitution and international human rights conventions, including the right to physical security, the right to live without fear or intimidation, the right to dignity and respect, that addresses the issue of degradation, the right to social intercourse that addresses isolation and to yeah. autonomy liberty and personhood and that means control over your own self and over time victimization and dependence are replaced by domination and subordination agency and resistance emphasis shifts from what men do to women to what they keep women from doing doing for themselves so you were talking about red flags to start, and I think that's anybody who's trying to understand red flags in a relationship needs to hear that. Over time, again, the, this whole escalation thing, victimization and dependence are replaced by domination, subordination, agency, and resistance. So the emphasis shifts from what men do to women to what they keep women from doing and i think yeah. that's the that's pivotal when we're talking coercive control coercive control has less to do in my view from keeping women from doing something and more to do with uh, or uh, from doing to the woman and more to doing keeping the woman from doing what she wants and what she needs yeah because she's in fear because she's in fear of him yeah 
Yeah. And even when she's not in fear of him at the beginning, she still want. I mean, we want to please our partners. She d- we want. I yeah, mean, she we- doesn't want to disappoint him. She doesn't want to upset him. She doesn't want to make him jealous. Yeah. And well, and yeah. yeah. And and I mean, normal loving couples want to please each other as much as they're able. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's Absolutely. a normal and natural thing. And unfortunately, with these kinds of partners, it becomes perverted. We've had uh, kind of an extensive conversation about your personal experience and what you're doing and kind of coercive control in general. we got a couple minutes left. Did I miss asking you something that you were just really feeling the need to talk about? I can't think, to be honest with you. Okay. All right. Well, are you have having you? Uh, do you have any plans to come to the United States? I'd love to. I really would. Okay. It's um I I've had a couple of offers to um hold conferences out of the UK, but I'm taking some time to um develop the magazine first and um be, be, be before I um start off on that, but it's 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 on my um, to-do list, definitely. Good, good. Well, that's the other interesting thing I think about this field is there's no end to it. <laughs> there's no end to what you can do to be useful and educational and uh, and help other folks. What, what, what Certainly what I find is one of the reasons I keep doing this is because um, as much as I am raising awareness so that others... You know, get to understand for me personally myself it is a continual learning experience I'm still learning so much yeah and um, until I feel that um, I no longer need to learn I'll keep doing it well and I think we that's kind of what you're saying applies to the entire field you know I mean 30 years ago as I said it was just it was all of a sudden we were talking about physical abuse for the first time yeah. it was out out of the closet out of the out from behind the closed drapes and over the last 30 years we've not only learned about i mean think about it 30 30 years ago you know everybody thought that the only time the only abuse was men hitting women and that when they they only did it when they were drunk you know or something like yeah. that yeah um and yeah. we've learned so much and we continue to learn and we continue to learn about coercive control, and we continue to learn to a large extent because of people like you who are going out and doing something about it and making sure uh, that people don't uh, ignore the topic and that that the education continues, and hopefully the research will continue as well. Min Grob, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about uh, the situation where you live. And uh, we do have a lot of listeners in the UK, by the way, and so hopefully they'll, uh, you know, look up your conferences and they're able to to come to some of those. Uh, Thank you uh, for talking about coercive control in general and talking about coercive control in your personal experience and sharing what you're doing about it to help improve the situation for others. Thank you so much. And thank oh, no, it's you. my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week.